Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lauren. Through years of playing together in our band Coping Skills, our collaborations have often focused more on bits and banter than on actual music. So we created a space for our superfluous antics to thrive alongside music commentary, interviews, and more. This, this is, is More Talk, talk Less, less rock. rock. Look me in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I keep that in. <laughs> Hello. Thank you, John, for joining us on this episode of More Talk, Less Rock. Thanks, Lauren, for, for having me and Rachel for having me. Big fan of the pod, so I'm really honored that you asked me to be on. Thank you. That means a lot. It really does. <laughs> um, as a as a long fan of the pod, you know that traditionally in interviews, we have had some kind of drawn out introductions, but we have since for season three decided that uh, who better to tell our listeners who our guests are then themselves. And so we were hoping you would be willing to tell us all a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. Oh, wow. Okay. Hi, my name is John Fatisse. Uh, I work at WXPN in Philadelphia. Uh, I do a lot of different things. I'm an on-air host, a few different shows, including the XPN local show. I co-host that. Uh, I also edit our local music uh, website, The Key, which features a lot of song reviews, record reviews, now, concert news, that concerts are, are, are coming back in a big way. <laughs> Video sessions, all kinds of stuff. And I also am one of the people on our social media team. I think that sort of scratches the surface. I've also written about music in Philadelphia for, man, 20 years this year. <laughs> so wow. I, big milestone. How do you yeah. feel about that? Um, I didn't realize until I was talking to somebody. Uh, I, I was doing an interview on Friday uh, for somebody who was doing a story about Philly music. And... Um, and I said, you know, I first started writing professionally about Philly music uh, at City Paper, Philadelphia City Paper, uh, back when I was finishing up college in 2001, 2002. So, yeah, it's, it's literally right about 20 years right now. It's fun. It, it definitely seems like 20 years, which I think it's not like, oh, where did the time go? Oh, no, I've seen like I have followed so many bands. I've, I've been to so many concerts around the city in that time. It, it definitely feels like I've done a, a lot of stuff and, and seen a lot of shows and been to a lot of things and met a lot of bands, talked to a lot of bands, et cetera, et cetera. I feel good about it, though, because I'm still excited. I'm not bored. I'm not like, I got to go to a show. I'm looking forward to shows. I was just at Porch Fest all day yesterday in West Philly. That was a lot of fun. Did it feel like a return to form a little bit? Have either of you been to Portress before or no? I have not. No. Okay. It definitely was the biggest year with the broadest range of music involved in that festival, which I was really excited by. When it started the first year, it leaned a little bit more kind of like folk adjacent with like a little bit of, I guess, what falls under like the indie umbrella. And then they've done more each year. Um, I think... After, like, the 2018 or 2019 uh, Porsche Fest, people were kind of saying, you don't have a lot of hip-hop, you don't have a lot of DJ music, Where you know, how is this getting represented? And the organizers definitely made a concerted effort to reach out to more people in the community uh, to get folks involved. And you definitely saw that in 2019, which was the last year uh, pre-COVID that it happened. And then yesterday, it was just absolutely bonkers. It was, uh, my wife Maureen and I were out from 
noon until I think 10:30 at night. <laughs> wow. It's kind of oh like I lost track of how many artists I saw, but I definitely there was there was one point where we were watching a a show on a porch on Cedar Avenue and Best Bear, the band Best Bear was playing, who were great. I loved them and uh, they finished their set and we kind of turned around to the other side of the street and uh, DJ Lil Dave from WKDU, he's dropped radio and everything. He's DJing over there and there's like a dance party happening. So I, I loved that about it. It definitely felt like people were ready for masks and, uh, and social distancing to be over in a big way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Would you, um, real quick, just explain a little bit about what Porch Fest is? Okay. Yeah. So, for Porch, anybody who doesn't know, Porch Fest is a day long free music festival. They got it started in New England and it happens in a bunch of other cities around the, the country. It's not really like a chain thing necessarily. It's not like a corporate festival that has branches. It's more like people started it in whichever the, the original city was and then other folks kind of picked up the ball in their city and made their own version of it. And, and, the, and the founders, uh, uh, apparently, from what I understand, definitely like encouraged that. And it's a really good community event. In West Philly, it's perfect for it because it's a neighborhood with lots of big porches. And artists will set up on porches, or porches will book three or four or five artists to play throughout the day. And um, it's just a day-long music thing. It's really fun. Um, I was running to catch one set. And I passed the uh, West Philadelphia Slavic Women's Choir. And I was like, oh, man, this Whoa. is really cool. I'm, I, once I see the end of, it was the singer Dante Robinson. Once I see the end of Dante's set, I'm coming back here to watch this choir. And I came back there, and the choir was done, but there was a jazz uh, a quartet instead. So, yeah, it's just like a free community festival. It's a lot of fun. It definitely brought a lot of people out because a lot of people were just <laughs> eager to see live music again. It felt like particularly for this one porch that was like very well organized so it started off with uh, swim camp and that was where best bear played that was where humilitarian played and riverby closed it at like six o'clock it felt like bands who would be playing basement shows to maybe 50 or 60 people were playing this porch thing to like 150 people so it was kind of really awesome but there was definitely a lot of people you know dancing and getting in close proximity and august from riverby um, when, when the set got done, they were like, all right, everybody, thank you for being here. We love you. We had so much fun. Please get tested for COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like we're still in a pandemic, but I think it's like people are getting more comfortable with being out. But it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Porch Fest makes a lot of sense for that to be kind of the first major event where people are going to see live music again because it is outside. So it is inherently safer for people. Definitely. Um, it can allow people to kind of get into it in maybe a way that they wouldn't feel like they could otherwise. That particular block was a lot of fun. And there was one point where one of one of the neighbors brought out, you know those sprinklers that you would see on suburban lawns that are kind of like... Yes! yes I've gone through a lot of those. Rectangular. <laughs> we grew up in suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> with the metal pole that swings back and forth. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So they brought one of them out, and then it was like a group of kids who were playing with this sprinkler... And then uh, one of these children like went and started pointing, like picked up the sprinkler and started pointing it at their friends. So it was off the ground and he, he was holding it. And it, as it was oh rotating and spraying people down. And then the audience from Porch Fest was like, oh, wait, I because it was like 90 degrees yesterday. Uh, they were like, yeah. hey, can you, you know, I, I would like to get sprinkled too, please. I'm hot. <laughs> and it wound up being like uh, just a bunch of people playing in a sprinkler while bands played. It was kind of magical, actually. <laughs> it's really endearing yeah. and definitely akin to, like, 
opening up a fire hydrant when hmm. it's really hot in the summer. Totally. The same kind of thing. But yeah, but that was that was all, I guess, like a tangent off of just like me having done this music thing, Philly music thing for as long as I have. And, you know, I love when I love that there's still events out there. Um, I mean, obviously, there's still there's always going to be events out there. I, lo- I still love going to events like that, like Porch Fest, where it's a lot of bands who I know and I enjoy seeing their music and a lot of bands who I've never seen before. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, experiencing them for the first time. And that's always fun to me. I don't understand, like, kind of getting to this point of, like, only seeing stuff that you know or only wanting to listen to stuff that you already know. It's like there's so much stuff out there and there's always more, not even just music, like art, movies, books, television, whatever. There's always more stuff coming and it's really good. So, you know, why not listen to it? I don't know. Would you tell us about some of your first experiences really getting excited about music and like how that and events and how that might be tied to where you grew up? Do I want to go into the... uh my musical theater phase. Yes, yes. you and Lauren will have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I also had a musical theater phase. I, I like to think that I'm still in it, just less annoying about it. I don't know. You could tell me. You could tell me if that's not true. You're not annoying about it. Okay, yeah. that means a lot. <laughs> well, it was when I was in middle school, and my parents took my younger sister and I to see the Phantom of the Opera at the Forest Theater. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera, and I was just like, I had never seen any kind of like theatrical production on that scale before and i was just like mesmerized and we bought like the tapes at the at the at the at the theater merch sta- did they call it merch stands in theater like <laughs> yeah it is it is a merch stand yeah yeah, yeah except <laughs> except like the cast is not there like thanks for coming we got merch in the back like <laughs> <laughs> no 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 it's just like here's a t-shirt or a poster or whatever but it's the same thing right right totally or program i think i think i still have the program or my mom does but anyways so i bought the tapes became obsessed with the tapes and then kind of um i still have the tapes by the way and then kind of started digging into like adjacent uh musicals of that era so les miserables i, Another I still know all the words to les mis uh which we also saw when it toured other Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. Heart. Oh man, what else? I, I kind of, I probably stopped like late middle school, early high school because I definitely got made fun of a lot and I definitely was like really insecure about it. And so for a while I kind of, I got into, this was like 94, 95, I got into um, angsty 90s music at that point. So like Nirvana and Nine Inch Nails, and that was my vibe for another (laughs) few years. And around then was when I saw my first concert, which was Nine Inch Nails at uh, the Spectrum, which... What? Yeah. It was... It's a very cool cool first show. Yeah. It's like, it has (laughs) to be said. It was like, yeah, it was the, um, it was the downward spiral tour. Unfortunately, like, Marilyn Manson was the opener, but, Mm. yeah. uh, So that, that, that was... Not great at the time and didn't particularly age well. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> no, no, um, certainly not. But, um, but no, like, I mean, th- that was another kind of example of me, I mean, not having seen anything on that scale before and just really kind of, like, being blown away by it. So for a while, I kind of liked big things like that. And then, uh, like, uh, I, I wouldn't say, I guess theatrical. I guess maybe that was kind of my... You know why I, I I gravitated towards like 
bigger rock shows and bigger artists initially. Yeah. Um, I think they, there's definitely a connection there for sure. Maybe, maybe. The music theater to stadium rock pipeline is real. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, start, I started seeing shows at the Troc, um, like late high school, Party. early college. And that was, that was cool because it was like these bands that I would listen to that I would love that you would see in this space where you can get right up close. Like you didn't need to spend, I mean, back then an expensive ticket was $50. Now an expensive ticket is like $275, which is, I mean, not to, not, no, actually, no, no, they had expensive tickets like that back then too. I don't, I'm not, <laughs> not trying to sound like back in my day, tickets were... <laughs> I do not. I do not think that. <laughs> but, but for the shows I was going to anyway. Um, totally. Yeah. But uh, but no. I I I loved the idea of being in a smaller room with a band who I was hearing on the radio and uh, like really getting into in that regard. And then they're like right there. If I chose to get there early enough, I could be like right up front. So I was super into that. Um, Oh man, I'm trying to think of what are some really good truck shows I saw. I saw Modest Mouse at the truck. Um, wow. Whoa. I saw Bright Eyes at the truck. I saw. Did I see? I saw Elliot Smith at the truck. I was. That was a really no good way. Show. Oh my god. Um, I usually don't kind of talk about this era of <laughs> my my musical listening, so forgive me if this is if this is all out of order. Somewhere, somewhere around here was when I started writing first for my college paper, which was the Temple News. I went to Temple. And then later I got an internship at City Paper, which was one of the two uh, alt news weeklies in Philly. Uh, unfortunately, does not exist anymore, but um, it was really awesome place for me to get started and for me to learn about music writing. And having that internship and working with my editor there, Pat Rappa, who's really awesome, really kind of made me appreciate the local music community. In a way, I mean, I think I always did kind of think it was cool when I went to a show and there was like a local opener, you know. I thought that was like, oh, this is awesome. This band's from from Philly or one of the ones that, <laughs> one of the ones that stands out was I saw, um, uh, do you know the band KMFDM? No. no. No? Okay. They're a ridiculous industrial, they, a completely ridiculous industrial band. I got into them around uh, around the time that I was listening to Nine Inch Nails. So that sort of era, genre, vibe, and I saw them somewhere, and the lo- there was a local opener by the name of God Lives Underwater, and similar, similar in style, but they were from Lansdale slash Ambler, and I was like, whoa, I'm from Ambler, this is cool. <laughs> That's my neck of the woods. Oh, no way. Where did yeah, you go I'm to high from- school? Well, I I went to um I went to Germantown Academy in Fort Washington. Okay. So I'm familiar with the Ambler area. And I grew up in Lansdale. Okay. My my mom lives kind of right up Morris Road a little ways from GA. And uh, yeah. she's a longtime volunteer at that Wissick and Valley watershed that's on the other side of the street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my mom. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, no, working at, working at City Paper and working with Pat in particular kind of really, because City Paper always did these, I forget if they were quarterly or biannually, but several times a year did local music issues where Pat would tell all the writers, okay, pitch me two or three local artists that you want to interview for this issue of the paper. So I was always listening to local music because of that, because one, it was an opportunity for me to write a longer form piece instead of just a shorter review. And also it was like, I, I find that like once you you meet and like kind of get to know one local artist, 
you meet like five more because of like shows they'll play with other local artists and which I'm Definitely. sure is the same thing for the two of you, like playing shows um, and connecting with artists and finding other artists to play shows with. So I kind of really dove into the scene that way. And then uh, eventually I was volunteering at X- I'm trying to tell the short version of this story. <laughs> eventually <laughs> I, was, I was volunteering here at XBN when there was a internet radio station and I was co-hosting the, um, the local show on that. And that's sort of what led to me being a, um, when the key launched, a contributor to the key. And then I got a part-time job after a few years of that. And then I got a full-time job after a couple years of that. And I've been here since, uh, full-time since 2012. So 10 years next year. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, I read that that wasn't your first radio experience, though. Did you or did you not record cassette tapes of pretend radio shows with your cousin? Oh my <laughs> goodness, you, you are that? deep diving. <laughs> yes, yes. We my cousin research. and I um, had some sort of satirical uh, show called Russian Radio that cool. he, um, I think it was just based on the news. Like, you, how, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting a gotcha question from you, Rachel. <laughs> From me? <laughs> we, we've met, Josh. <laughs> I'm the one to expect it from out of the universe. No, you know, you type you type a name into Google and you just do a couple clicks and you find stuff. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I don't know. I don't remember when I've talked about this in the past. However, uh, this was definitely like we talked when... about it in the Chestnut Hill local in July of 2014. Oh, my God. I forgot about that interview. That's funny. <laughs> Nathan well, Lerner, usually damn. you're the one interviewing, so it's harder <laughs> yeah. to find stuff about you, but um, we tried. So, yeah, so I, I um, my cousin and I, uh, we were probably 10 and 12 at the time, uh, and we, we had this satirical uh, show. I, I don't know that we had the uh, knowledge <laughs> to call it satirical at the time, uh, but <laughs> it, was, it was, I guess, based on, like, current events of the early... Uh, early 90s, uh, particularly regarding United States and Russia relations, or at least our understanding of such as 10 and 12 wow. year olds. That's it. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, I even like thought to do that at well, that age. I, I, I guess I thought it was going to be more like like radio show music based, and I did not expect you to get geopolitical. Oh, no. no. <laughs> and... and, and To my cousin's credit, to my cousin John's credit, it was kind of his vision. I was just like more of like a goofy character sidekick. Okay. But he's he's the one who's like definitely was much smarter smarter than me and into like keeping up on news uh, as a 10 slash 12 year old. (laughs) But... But uh, but no, it was just it was just like a funny thing that we did. Um, And I think around then was like when the first Iraq war happened. Uh, so I think at one point we, we sort of tied that into it in a way that I don't know made sense. Um, because I, what, what the hell was the concept? Our two DJs were exiled and went to Iraq while the war was happening. But the war was happening, the first war happened in... Kuwait, as I remember. Oh my God, I don't. I, anyway, <laughs> I do not. I do, I do not stand by. I don't. I do not remember a what the politics of this podcast were, and I sure, don't sure. know how well that held up. <laughs> I was not a very learned I mean, you person. Were, you, yeah, you were decidedly a child. Yes. So I think. Yeah, we all we all grow and change and evolve. I mean, but but though, I see. Here's where I thought you were going with this, Rachel. I my my. <laughs> 
technical first radio experience was doing internet radio with what was called Y100 Rocks. It was basically like what the 104.5 of that era was. Um, yeah. And that was very unceremoniously taken off the air in 2005. And Jim, the program director, basically decided to take a few months and start an internet radio station because that was a thing that was happening at the time. Um, and he reached out to a bunch of people he knew in um, in the local music community. And I had just interviewed him, actually, because I forget what magazine it was for, but I'd done a magazine piece about, okay, so 2005 was a few years into the Strokes, probably like like three or four years into the Strokes existing, but also like mm-hmm. the White Stripes were getting played on uh, um, on Modern Rock totally. Radio and um, and Rilo Kylie and and bands of like that that generation, and this uh, for me as a music listener was hugely refreshing after ninety seven ninety eight to two thousand two was a lot of like Limp Biscuit and Limp Biscuit adjacent bands, and it was like so nice to be able to like listen to a big like a mainstream commercial radio station. It's like, they're playing the AAS, fuck yeah. So I'd done this interview with a bunch of different radio programmers from around the country, including Jim, about that. And then, like, literally two months after that interview, I don't think the story had even published yet, uh, their their station got, got uh, pulled. Uh, but Jim knew me because Aww. of that, so he invited me to be uh, one of the on-air hosts for this internet radio station. And that was my first time really being um, on the microphone and... Uh, playing music and talking about it. And I, I think I've improved a little bit since then, but I don't know really how much. <laughs> I think you have. <laughs> I, I, I would hope so. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did that for a few years, and then that became part of XPN. So that was how I became, that's how I started here as a volunteer, was through that. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. And then that lasted another few years, and then when there was the, again, unceremonious parting of ways in 2010, and... Josh went off and started Why Not. I stayed at XPN because um, I think the key was going at that point or was, was starting to, to happen at that point. And at that point, I was already like kind of starting to bring in bands in the studio like I did with yours eventually. Um, I, I was still learning studio stuff at that point, but it, I, I was kind of thinking like, well, I, I can use this radio station in the studio kind of for whatever I want as long as I give people a heads up. So, yeah, I think I'm going to stay here and record Billy Bands for this for this uh, series. So I've been holding in a new band name um, to, toward Unceremonious Parting of Ways. So that's <laughs> new band name, I call it. Um, and okay. as we are trying to get better about explaining the bits on the show during every episode and not just the first time it happens, yeah, yeah. Um, the new band name bit is where one of us calls a new band name during a show and then we have to make a song as if that is our new band. And so stay tuned to that at the very end of the episode. Thank you for that, John. You are Very welcome. excited to now be Unceremonious Parting <laughs> of Ways. New from Unceremonious Parting of Ways. I, I'm, picturing, I'm picturing either like a told slant-esque kind of like slowcore thing or... Yeah, I pictured like post-rock. Like Ooh. I don't know how to do that, but I will learn. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to. That is the exercise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and so would you um, go into a little bit more detail about your evolution through XPN since coming over from Y100? I kept wanting to call it Why Not. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. Y100 Rocks was what it was called. Um, Y100 Rocks. Yeah. So when I first came over, it was a lot of just random doing um, on-air shifts where I would just kind of play playlist stuff and talk about it, announce it, whatever. 
And then I was also tabling shows, like working shows. Like they would have volunteers who were on air also do street team stuff at concerts. So I was seeing a lot of shows too. So I was, I, it, was, it was an excuse for me to see concerts uh, for free and then also um, get to be on the internet radio and hear music, you know, that I, that I really like, you know, kind of get exposed to new music and, and whatever. And then about a year into doing that, I guess it was, my friend Jake, uh, who, host, or who hosted the local show, uh, he was going back to grad school to be a teacher. He's, he's a teacher now. But he kept wanted to keep doing the, the show because he loved doing it and he loved kind of working with local artists. So I started helping him out, either doing fill-in shifts or, or you know, other ways I could help him. And this one time I was filling in for him, uh, I knew that Mischief Brew was playing a show. Oh, man. I want to say it was either at Lava Space or... What is that uh, bar that is no longer there at 40-something in Chester, 39th in Chester? Um, what year was this Mischief Brew show? Oh, it would have been like 2007, 2007 or 2008. Okay. And it was either gotcha. at Lava or at Mill Creek, I forget which. Um, but I knew that it was happening in West Philly, and I vaguely knew Eric, so I emailed Eric. And I was like, hey, I'm doing this internet radio thing. Do you want to come in and, and play some songs? And um, talk about the show that you're doing later that night. So he swung by and did, um, yeah, we, we, we had a short interview. He played two songs. I recorded it. I played it for Jake the next, like, later the next week. I was like, hey, I did this while you were off this week. And he was like, this is really cool. We should do more of these. So um, mm-hmm. that was kind of the beginning of what's now the Key Studio Sessions, just we reached out to bands we knew. It was originally in studios like this one that I'm in now where there's, you know, where there's like two or three mics and that's it. <laughs> so, which is yeah, fine for yeah. recording acoustic stuff. Like somebody in an acoustic guitar, totally. this is perfect. But bands started wanting to bring in more stuff. So like, oh, can we bring in a bass amp? Can we bring in shakers? Can we bring in our full drum kit? And that was kind of... You're when, like, no, not really. Well... <laughs> The loved ones did. They brought in like a full kit, like like Marshall stacks that are like oh, no. not as tall as me, but like you know, tall. And um, like an eight ten. <laughs> I was just like, we're kind of pushing our limits a little bit here. And then thankfully, um, one of the uh, one of my coworkers, they realized that we were trying to do foolishly <laughs> full bands with three microphones, and he was like you know you can use the big studio and I was like nobody ever told me I can use the big studio he's like well I'm telling you now you can you can you know have somebody show you how to use the soundboard and and you can start return, uh, recording in there uh, so I started doing that and that was um, 2009 I think was when that happened and I never I, I never did any audio stuff when I was in college I went to school for photojournalism so like I knew the writing part from writing for city paper and photography i shot photos of shows sometimes i wrote uh my, my first day job out of college was for a suburban newspaper that i did i would like shoot photographs for a lot of my own articles but i'd never done audio before so it was like a, a learning curve but it was a fun one that's so cool yeah they kind of were just like yeah you can just like use the big studio and and just like do whatever you want it was the the initial impression i had was like oh this is the studio that our npr show world cafe records in so that is off limits and then they were like Sacred no space. this isn't off limits yeah. <laughs> it's here like it should be used use it and i really it was it was really awesome like to hear that he had that that, that jared had that kind of outlook on it because yeah it, it, it it's it's a nice room and it shouldn't be like closed off for 
the majority of the week. So Yeah, what's so, the point of having it if it sits there and collects dust? Right, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, so I, 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 I started learning how to record. Uh, eventually, I started learning how to do multi-track recording. My initial recordings, I don't know if this is like too techy or boring or what, but my initial recordings were just like live to two-track because the studio that I was in was not Whoa. set up with Pro Tools or a multi-tracker or anything. So, Whoa. which was which was very fun. Which was a very fun way to record the Menzingers. Let me tell you that. <laughs> it was. You're kind of like, oh, I'm just getting into audio. Now I'm going to mix on the fly and, and print straight to two track. And we're just going to see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Like, would you would you explain a little bit for people who listen to the show who don't know as much about recording what the experience of recording with a two track channel is? If you don't have like a, a, a software like Pro Tools that can like lay it all out and, and record everything, it would sum all the tracks to straight to a two track. Which would be like a left and a right channel. Right. Yeah. So like you couldn't then like go and edit individual tracks or individual instruments you just have to like get your levels right the whole time yeah and then it's they all just print together and then you kind of the only thing you can do is edit the whole you can't do any any editing in the in the individual tracks which is so what i wound up having to do is they would sound check a song and then they would come in the studio and listen back to the song and then they would say oh man can you bring the guitars up 2 dB and the ba- and then they would go out and play the fucking song again. And I'm not saying the Menzingers just the Menzingers. I'm saying everybody was was you know that was the process. So a session would take right. five yeah. hours, and the uh, final yeah. takes like the artist voice like the vocalist voices would be super strained because they played the song four times in a row. Oh no. yeah. And there's always some room of discretion. Like, not everybody who says, can you bump this two dBs knows what bumping two dBs actually will translate to. Like, it's just a guessing game for a lot of people. That's fun. Yeah, that was how I learned. <laughs> That's fun. But it was a great way to yeah. learn. Because it's a great learning experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure you learn a lot that way. That, you know, people who have the... Like, I, I learned just straight up using Pro Tools. And, like, you don't have to troubleshoot as much when you have the ability to do uh, individual tracks for everything. And it's kind of a luxury. Yeah, it's uh, constraints make you smarter. The other kind of wrench in the works for it was um, when Coping Skills recorded, you had individual headphone stations, right, where you can kind of build your own mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back, yeah. back when I was doing the live to two-track, not only was I doing live straight to two-track, because I was using our, our B studio, our, 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 I'm sorry, our, our B control room for that. It was the same performance studio, but it was a different control room. The headphone situation that came out of that room was like one tiny headphone amp that was meant for broadcast studios and not for live rooms. So it did not get very loud. So yeah. they would be in the room playing, and, and uh, they, meaning any artist, um, and, and they would say that you know they can't hear themselves. So I would give them more signal from my side, and then they would say, oh, it's clipping. So I would give them less, and it, I just it, would, it was like this going back and forth to get them to the point where they were hearing what they needed to hear, but also it wasn't blowing their ears out. And I think more often than not, they just kind of went with the whole, all right, it's distorted, this is how it is, let's just play. It's like yeah. after a while, you're just like, we're just not going not gonna to get there. Especially, you know, when bands... They get really particular. They're like, "Oh, can you like turn my vocals up, or can you turn the guitar down, or whatever?" And like, you're like, "I I can't," and you, you kind of just have to play through it. 
But like I I've listened back to those songs and like those recordings and they don't sound bad. Obviously, like the simpler the setup or like the quieter the setup, um, the easier it was for me to kind of find all the pieces and get them like aligned in the right way. Um, like I have one uh, with the singer songwriter Dennis and Whitmer that sounds really beautiful, and that was full band, but everybody was kind of playing at like a lower a lower volume. The the louder ones were a bit more of a struggle, but then even some of them sounded pretty great. Like, I have one from uh, the band Nothing from 2000... 2000-something. 2000 <laughs> 13, 12 or 13. <laughs> and they were very loud, but it still sounds decent. So, yeah. Yeah, that is kind of nice to be able to, to listen back to things you've done in the past and be like, oh, that was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. Especially, like, not really having any background in engineering and recording and that kind of side of things i mean some of them i listened back and i was just i'm just like whoa <laughs> that's not that was not a good day but some of them i i listened back and i'm kind of like pleasantly surprised that i managed to make the situation work so yeah yeah i feel like that's kind of the cycle of nostalgia to a certain degree like i for example with some of our earlier stuff there was a period where i just wanted to get rid of evidence of the first things that we recorded because mm -hmm. I decided it didn't sound good and that I was somewhat, I think embarrassed is too strong of a word, but just, you know, you, you get so in your head about things. You feel away. And then I listened to our first EP, Everything is Stupid and I Hate It Again, a few weeks ago, and I was like, this is good. You did a good <laughs> job. Like, I'm proud of this. You get the cycle comes back around to like, yeah. you know what? Like, you know what? I'm proud of what we did in <laughs> yeah. 2015. Like, yeah. with what we knew and, you know, how how yeah. new we were. Yeah. Well, you, you kind of talked about that a bit, too, in that ep episode where you were going into worse new music versus uh, relatable web content. And I think, didn't you decide that relatable web content was was the banger of the two? Or was it, I forget which it was. <laughs> Thank you for advertising our other episodes on this episode. It's a really great service that you're providing. Yeah, I think I decided that relatable web content was the better record. Uh, I think it was just yeah. more of a of a unified body of work than Worst New Music became. And I still love Worst New Music and I'm proud of it, but, you know, time, time the circle of time. Well, like, Worst New Music has, um, I think, some of our, our biggest bangers. Yeah, but some as of our a, strongest. Yeah, but as a whole, I think it is. It functions less as a whole. What do you think? Is it I, I think I'm with you, um, Rachel. I'm, I, 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 I like um, relatable web content in the two, but I think that's because I was introduced to coping skills through that record, and I always have, with, with any band, I'm kind of inclined to gravitate more towards the, the, the earliest thing. So even like with Hopalong, I still love get disowned the most as much as I think that yeah. they've got a thoroughly strong catalog all the way through. It is always the material that introduces you to an artist that you always have more attachment to. Yeah, like in the vein of attachment to things that you've that you've known and listened to for a long time. I remember earlier in the pandemic you were doing a project where you were going through your fairly massive CD collection, right? Mm -hmm. Would you uh, ex explain what like why you started doing that and what that what that was like for you listening to all these things again? So, okay, so I have a lot of CDs. Both Maureen, my wife, and I have a lot of music, CDs, records, tapes, digital music, whatever. And the reason I started doing that project, it was a CD a day thing, and I think I got all the way through August before kind of uh, stopping. <laughs> Every day I would pull a different CD from my shelf, 
uh, listen to it, like a CD that I haven't heard in a while. And then I would kind of post it to my Facebook and, and just talk about, you know, my, my reaction to hearing this CD for the first time in a while. And um, I got up until August doing one a day or roughly one a day. Sometimes I would miss a day and then I would listen to two the next day. But by August, I had... When, when did you start, though, I guess is what oh. I'm asking. Like, you did this for, for like, four to five months straight? Like, ja- January. Incredible. I started in January. It was a New Year's res thing. Oh! Yeah. Okay, so this started pre-pandemic. It did. It did. But then it definitely... Gotcha. Pandemic time gave me a, a lot of time to do it. <laughs> an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gotcha. Time, yeah, time makes everything feel like an illusion. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. But so, so the reason I started it... Um, uh, it, it was uh, again. I started. I started the project as a New Year's resolution in January of 2020, and uh, the reason I started it was uh, Maureen and I had moved in 2019, and um, we, when, when we moved into the house, and, and I've had these CDs forever. Many of them since college, since pre-college even, and they always kind of travel with me from you know house to house and apartment to apartment, and you know each move I've accumulated more of them and. Uh, this was this move that we did in 2019 was the first time I had moved in I think 10 years. So <laughs> we had like big like U-Haul boxes filled with them, and I was carrying this one box up 53rd from where we parked our our moving truck to our new house, um, and the bottom of the box like broke open. <laughs> I knew you no! were gonna say it, and it still hurt. Like- <laughs> CDs just all over the sidewalk and. Maureen still makes fun of me for this. My initial reaction was to kind of grab the CDs and start putting them back in alphabetical order before getting them inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) And and she's like, John, what the hell are you doing? Get them inside. Worry about that later. We got to unpack. So um, so anyways, that was kind of like a a, a moment for me (laughs) where I realized. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm imagining like the, the jewel, the crash jewel case. Yeah, the jewel case, plastic ashes glittering the sidewalk, <laughs> is like visceral. <laughs> I kind of decided, like, all right, if I'm carrying these with me and transporting these every time I move, I should still be. I should use them. I should still. I shouldn't just like have them sitting there. So that project, the CD Day project, was kind of my concerted effort to force myself to listen to all this music that I have been living with but not listening to i i kind of my my listening kind of gravitates towards new stuff as part of my job anyway and then um when i'm not listening to stuff for work i'm usually listening to either uh like records we just got or recently got or i'm listening to stuff like streaming or 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 whatnot i think cd is probably like the last medium that i'll go to of, of all our various collections and i feel like maureen's Similar. I feel like she listens to records first because I mean, she, she we we go record shopping a lot, and she's she's very good at finding awesome stuff in dollar bins or in general. Um, some people have that talent, and I think just yeah. some people are are gifted with it, and other people it's just a struggle. You just have to know what you're finding. I'm a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll go to like Brewery Town Beats or somewhere. Uh, they just moved. Um, and they're sort of reorganizing their space, but even in the new space, it's still like a really remarkable like dollar bin slash discount. And they used to have a like a wing of not a wing; it was like a one floor thing. But like the back of their store used to just be the dollar bin, and it was ridiculous and incredible. And you would find all kinds of stuff in there. But like we'll go and I'll find stuff that I want to buy, and it'll wind up being like 
40 or $50 and she'll go up to pay and she'll have like twice as many records and it'll be like $20. <laughs> like, how did you Whoa. do this? Yeah, she's, she's, she's awesome. Uh, but anyways, I listen to CDs the least of everything. So I was like making an effort to every day find a new CD or a, a, a CD from my shelf that I hadn't heard in a while and just listen to it and post about it. And uh, some of it was like, like there was one like electronic compilation I got when I was a teenager that was like weird trance music, uh, trance and like like drum and bass a little bit and like dub a little bit. And it was like definitely like a CD that I would put on when either studying or trying to go to sleep. And it was kind of nice hearing it outside of either of those contexts. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was like, wow, there's some really interesting sounds on here. And, and I, I, I like this. Another one, like Rilo Kylie's first record, Takeoffs and Landings, which I mm-hmm. I think I got well, I got um Execution of All Things first, and then I got Takeoffs and Landings. And I think my reaction as a twenty something year old was like, Yeah, this isn't as good as Execution of All Things. So I just never listened to it again. And so uh this was probably like my first time spending in in a very long time spending any decent amount of time with that record. And that record's really good too. So it was stuff like that, yeah. I'm trying to think of other good selections I found in there. I found a compilation that was released in 1996. So going back with Philly Radio again, the predecessor to Y100 was a station called WDRE, and they put out a compilation in 96 called WDR Regional, which was all like Philly, New Jersey area bands. And so it was like 20-something local artists, like some of which were awesome, some of which were like, this is this is not great. Why was this? <laughs> it was like a lot of like jam, <laughs> jam band stuff that isn't necessarily my vibe. Yeah. But then there was like stuff that was like musicians that I still, like this one singer-songwriter, Ben Arnold, who is like pretty popular among the XPN audience. And um, like I'm, I'm pretty friendly with him. He's a good dude. Um, he was uh, on that compilation from like 25 years ago from when he was just starting out. So, and it's funny because like the, picture like if you you open up the jewel case uh, or i'm sorry the, the cd booklet there's pictures of all like the press photos of all the artists and the photo of ben they had photographed him to look like very like kind of like dream body <laughs> like a in like a <laughs> mid 90s uh modern rock star sort of vibe and <laughs> I can picture the aesthetic. Yeah. And I, so, like, I, I when I posted it, like, I tagged Ben. I was like, Ben, heart eyes emoji, heart eyes emoji. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he loved that, <laughs> and he loved that it was still that that I still had, and I was still listening to it too. And this is where I put it. Sponsored ad. If I had one. Sorry, lost the happy, but the happy's back. You were talking earlier about going to Porch Fest. Mm. And how kind of good it felt to get back into going to shows again. You have been for many, many years kind of a champion of of live music in Philly. Mm. If you had to ballpark, like how many shows do you think you've been to in your oh life? And like pre-pandemic, like how often were you going to shows? Like how many times a week? And how do you like work that into your schedule? Um, so I would say probably I'll I'll make a conservative guess and say like at least three nights a week, sometimes more, sometimes fewer. Um, like there, there might be some weeks where I just didn't go to, didn't go out, or some weeks where um, I wanted to go to a show, but I was doing something in the studio that night, so I couldn't. But probably on average, like three nights. There, there, there are definitely more than a few instances of me doing multiple shows in one night. Okay, so I forget what year this was. I would have to look it up. But Bill Murray did some sort of 
thing at the Academy of Music where okay. um, it was it was him and some classically trained uh, artists, a pianist, a, I think a, a string quartet. I forget, I forget what the arrangement was, but one of my writers was writing about it and th- we needed a photographer. And I was like, yes, I would love to photograph Bill Murray at the Academy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, and it was an early show too. It was like, uh, uh, you know, they let people in at six, and it started promptly at seven o'clock because it's like, you know, fancy Academy of Music time uh, and not punk rock time. So, uh, right. So I went to that, and it was like it wasn't a situation where obviously because of the venue and because of the people involved, it wasn't something where like there's a photo pit, you're up front getting these badass shots. Like, no, I was. In the back right. of the venue with, like, a long lens getting stuff from afar, which was fine because it was just cool to be there. And I was at that for, I want to say, like, half hour, 45 minutes. And it was, like, lots of just kind of, like, meditative piano playing, Bill Murray reading poetry, and, like, not the great Gatsby, but something, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald related. <laughs> like, it was just, like, very... What? It, it was very, uh, it was very esoteric and, and, and arty and cool. Um... And and very strangely, Bill Murray. Apparently, after I left, it, something happened involving him going out into the audience with like several bouquets of roses and handing out roses to people in the audience. So I don't know. It's, <laughs> it was it was a thing. Um, but so I left that and went to Union Transfer to see the Swear in Super Chunk show, and then left the Swear in Super Chunk show to go to the Dolphin to see Yeji. And I saw all three Whoa. artists, and I I was just like biking all over. So I'll do stuff like that. Incredible. <laughs> but I would say yeah, like conservatively, like three shows a week, sometimes more, sometimes less. Lifetime. Oh my god. I used to <laughs> I used to keep a notebook with like a log of shows, openers, etc. And I actually I I recently found the first couple of them, which were like my high school years into like post college years. But then um, I think at some point I used to work. All right, this is a total tangent. Uh, I used to work in a community darkroom in um, uh, or volunteer at a community darkroom in Northern Liberties. I, I, I went there for a shift. I had the, my bag in my car parked outside of the darkroom. And I remember it was a hot day. And I'm sitting at the computer while people are working in the photo lab. I hear kind of like a smash from outside. And I go out to my car and my car oh. had been broken into my iPod was not stolen. None of the money was stolen uh, that I had, like, in the change dish. Like, everything was intact. My reload bag, my shoulder bag, was taken. And the only thing that was in my shoulder bag was the Joyce Carol Oates book that I was reading and a uh, notebook that was my current volume of my show logs. And I was really bummed about that because I was like, ah, I didn't have this, like, typed anywhere. And that kind of, I, I, I stopped keeping track after that. And that was... 15 years ago. <laughs> so, wow. wow. Yeah. It's a shame. I should have somehow kept at it. But but I, I want to say when I did that, that was probably, I was probably at like the lifetime, like I think I definitely surpassed like 250 and was probably working my way to like 500. So it's probably double that now, 15 years later. I don't <laughs> know. More, I really don't know. Honestly. I don't know. You don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. I was. I've been keeping track of uh, all of the coping skill shows that we've ever mm. played, but I haven't looked at that information in quite some mm. time. Yeah, as you could imagine. Mm. But I can see how having you know your 
your log being stolen would be disheartening to the whole process. It's like you've spent so much time invested in putting it in that specific medium and you can't get that information back. Um, not really. I mean, you can dig through and, and find some Try stuff. Try to figure it out. Yeah. 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 That's a bummer. Yeah. Sorry that happened to And you. then it's like there's stuff where I could, yeah, I can do it based on like old ticket stubs or like looking at like calendars, mm-hmm. but it's like, there's definitely stuff where it's just like, oh, I wound up at the Kyber on whatever night and I saw these three local bands who they're not going to be on Setlist FM. So, yeah. Well, yeah. So it's like that sort of stuff that was missing. And I'd been that, that current notebook I've been doing for like long enough that I felt like I can't recreate this information. So, yeah. But no, I do see a lot of shows. It is true. <laughs> I know. I used to do a similar thing starting in high school on last fm mm. there was a little notes thing on the side and i would use it to keep track of all the shows i saw it wasn't that many at the time but that was i felt like it was very important to me at that time to keep it up to date because it is kind of like a weird you know log of of your life in a very very specific niche mm. way i recently found pictures from a show from 2014 that was mannequin pussy amanda x slut ever and girlpool in the basement of a bike shop in Kensington, I think, that I don't remember. Um, I remember the show. I remember the spot. I don't remember what the place was called, and I don't remember if they had anything of note after that. But that was one hell of a show. <laughs> I feel like I remember seeing that poster, mm-hmm. you know, for that show. I think in my memory, I never went to Hazard Hall. What was that like? I think, is that what that was, Hazard Hall? or Maybe. I feel like... So when I was still interning at the headroom, mm-hmm. I, I mean, and this could be, you know, memory is a, is a fragile thing, but that lineup sounds familiar in Hazard Hall is what's ringing a bell in my mm-hmm. brain because I remember seeing a poster for it before I had heard of Mannequin Pussy and Lauren and I, for listeners of the show who, who don't know, we did a project for um, college graduation in 2015 where we created a compilation called Girls to the Stage. We recorded six um, either entirely or primarily female-identified bands in Philadelphia and put out this compilation and had a record release show. And Kyle Pulley, one of the owners of the studio, um, suggested Mannequin Pussy to us. And then, you know, that poster kept ringing in my brain from there on out is all that I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, that, that sort of rings a bell for me too uh, as well. So I think maybe that was the spot. I'm trying to think because I, I know we got off on... A few tangents. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I. That's should... what we do here. Yeah, <laughs> we're all we're all about the tangents. Cool. As a, as am I. Um, I'm 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 glad that both of you because usually I, I I feel like I have to like apologize for giving long answers and and going off on tangents, but I feel like you know I feel like you are understand. I feel like we're kindred spirits in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I mean this is very casual. You, you've seen our band yes. play. You know that, that tangents are. <laughs> are part of the package deal. Yeah, I mean, that is, you can say that that is why we have the show, yeah. (laughs) It's just, the show is just one long tangent. Yes. And it's been really fun listening to all of your tangents and kind of, you are so often on the other side of this dynamic and um, not only talking to artists, but then promoting them. And so it has been really fun to be on the other side and get to learn more about you, um, who's, Especially because, I don't know, I think as part of, I think as far as the Philadelphia scene goes, you are very instrumental in introducing and helping out growing bands. I mean, you were definitely an early listener to us and 
um, have been a supporter as we've been figuring out our stuff, which we are still <laughs> always doing. <laughs> it's a process. And so um, we are really grateful for all that you do in Philadelphia and all that you have done to support us. And we're just uh, we're, happy. Uh, we're happy you're here. <laughs> I'm happy to be so here. So thank you for being here. <laughs> no, thanks. I mean, you know, I, I, I think you're great. I think you all are great. And like I, I that's kind of the approach I take to what I do is like when I find something that I think is great, I want to tell people about it. And fortunately, I have a platform with which to do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the only other thing that I would say just j- just for the sake of like completeness, and I don't know if you want to just like either edit this in later or just leave it out entirely because it's not super interesting. But, um, you know, after after I'd been doing the um, the session thing for a while, the studio session thing for a while, and I went from being a volunteer to a part time person uh, when I became a full time person here. um that was when I started getting other responsibilities with with my job, and that included like the on-air hosting that I was doing on XPN proper, but it also included doing stuff with our social media and our Instagram page and working with our membership department and working with our marketing department to get their stuff out on social media. So it was like a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff in addition to all the stuff that's kind of more public-facing, I guess. Uh, so basically, I'm kind of always doing work stuff and even though porch fest to kind of bring it back to porch fest um i was talking about at the beginning uh, even though i was there posting stuff on xpn's ig i was mostly disconnected from 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 anything work related for the entire day and i was just out and seeing music and enjoying it and that was very nice <laughs> and and i like finding those moments um but i also like having um you know stuff to do too yeah it feels very full circle to sort of the beginning of the conversation where it is really I think refreshing and uh, exciting that you are still so excited about what you do. And after all of this time that you've spent through various iterations of um, participating and working in uh, live music and recorded music that you still um, like are just like just excited to do it and find things that that make you feel fulfilled through it. If I care about something, I want to show it. I think that is big theater kid energy, too. Mm. That gives me that vibe of just, like, being unabashedly enthusiastic about the things that you like and having that carry over into music, even though it has been your your job for so long. Still getting to be excited about it is very nice. Cool, cool. <laughs> well, thank you again for being here. Yeah. You're great, and it, it's been awesome thank you. having thank you Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Lauren. This has been so much yeah. fun. Yay! <laughs> Some people think that we're the same Call us by each other's name So it's time to play a game called Tag Yourself Am I wrong, or is our new Tag Yourself theme song the best song we've ever written? It is both a hit and a banger, I agree. Thank you. I'm just so proud of her. (laughs) Welcome to Tag Yourself, everybody's favorite game and our favorite game. (laughs) I mean, it is our favorite game. I don't know. I don't really. We're just making assumptions about everybody else. We are everybody in the room. That's true. It's everyone in the room's favorite game. This week on Tag Yourself, we have a submission from Brian Thompson, who has submitted to Tag Yourself before. Thank you for being the number one submitter to this this (laughs) podcast, Brian Thompson, Um, and for waiting since November 10th for us to do this. In an email, Brian says... Considering the gritizens of Philadelphia played a major role in preventing another four years of he who shall not be named, I'm paraphrasing, it's probably tough not to declare it me, and in many ways, we are all gritty. But perhaps you're more of a fanatic, Swoop, or Franklin the dog. 
which is a four-way tag yourself that I'm not prepared to do. So here's, here's the interesting thing about this. Well, let's, let's backtrack. So I was born. <laughs> Go on. I, I would have believed you if you had also said, so I just like was spawned one day. <laughs> one day I woke up at a, at a ripe young I age. I rose from the ashes. Yeah. Um, like a phoenix. In the suburbs of Philadelphia. Grew up with family members who were into sports. However, my my knowledge of Philadelphia mascots was pretty pretty limited. And by that, I mean it was just the fanatic all the way. Okay. And I think if you were to ask a lot of people in this city, they would say that for a long time, the fanatic was was the dude. You know, like he was the guy. He was the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As somebody who did not grow up in Philadelphia and had parents um, who were not Eagles fan, go birds, um, or Phillies fans, I guess, you know, um, I still was aware of the fanatic, but my knowledge of Philly sports teams, mascots is even lower. Like, obviously, I know who Gritty is. Mm-hmm. That happened while I was living here. Mm-hmm. Um who is Swoop? <laughs> Who is Franklin the dog? I don't know well, that's her. what I'm saying, right? Is that like even, you know, I don't know that I would call myself a longtime Philadelphian because I didn't actually live in the Philly proper until within the last decade. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if you asked a lot of people who are from this area, they would agree with you. Okay. And say, who is Swoop? And who for all of our listeners... Dog? We know Brian Thompson. He does not live in the Philadelphia area. <laughs> and so his brother does. His brother is my lovely friend, Lord, roommate, Andrew. Lord, roommate. <laughs> friend, Lord. He's not my landlord. He's my friend, Lord. I've told that joke on the pod before. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I'll have to, I should have asked Andrew before coming in today if he knows who Soup or Franklin the dog are. That's neither here yeah. nor there. I mean, I, I like... You know, they were on the periphery of my knowledge of local sports. Okay, but who, like, what teams? I just. So Swoop is an eagle. <laughs> fly, eagles, fly. Fly, eagles, fly. Um, which makes sense, right? Like, Swoop, you know, the eagles, they're flying, they swoop, I guess, is the idea. <laughs> it sounds like, like a beanie baby name. It really, okay, I'm glad you say that because. One thing that I think is hilarious about mascots in general, about their names, their names are often ridiculous. Yeah. Intentionally. Right. In the you same need way to the remember them. Are. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Swoop, I guess, is a fine name for a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you, if you, like, went to an Eagles game, I don't know that Swoop is, like, a big part of it. And I think equally with Franklin the dog. And I have a theory about this. Who's Franklin the dog? Oh, Franklin the dog. Like Ben Franklin? Is that the joke? Is this the Sixers? I think so. Okay. It is. I think I just put the, the dog is together. named. I think the dog is named Franklin after Ben Franklin. Uh, and Franklin the dog is the mascot of the Philadelphia 76ers gotcha. basketball team. Here's my theory about the fanatic, who is the mascot for the Philadelphia Phillies, who are the baseball team. I don't know the last time you've been to a baseball game. Well, I tried to go to a baseball game last month, and then it was expensive, so it has yeah. been a good two years. Baseball is boring. Okay. <laughs> it is, but I like it. And by that, I mean, like, there is a lot of downtime. Definitely. There's a lot of space that needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. 
And I have a theory that the reason why people know and love the fanatic, this is, we're talking pre-gritty, okay. right? The reason why people know and love the fanatic, I feel like more than a lot of the other mascots is because the fanatic is intentionally ridiculous yes. as a way to compensate for baseball being boring. <laughs> That's the that's the entertainment. I'm just right? having self reflection, so like, go what? ahead. <laughs> what kind of self reflection? Oh no, keep going. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so I think like I think you could say that for a lot of like baseball mascots, like they do a lot of ridiculous things. I don't know if you're familiar with any other baseball mascots. The one that is immediately coming to mind is Mr. Met, who is just a cartoon person with a baseball head. <laughs> It's like the Syracuse orange man, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like some amorphous, uh, not really anything. Yeah. Not a creature that exists naturally in the world. Sure. The way a dog or an eagle would. Yes. <laughs> but not a fanatic. But not a fanatic. Like, what is the fanatic? And I think also, you know, it's a it's a big green fluffy thing. Mm-hmm. What is it? That's part of the appeal. Sure. So he just goes out and rides his ATV around and is, you know... <laughs> purposefully antagonistic towards some of the players and you know stands on the dugout and does his move where he you know he's gyrating he's doing a lot of a lot of stuff and i think a lot of that that mascot has personality in a way that a lot of the other ones don't sure or didn't for a while so and then that's why people like the fanatic so when i think of like philadelphia mascots i think of the fanatic first Mm -hmm. which is why i think you know we could do like a tag yourself with all four of them but I feel like it might be interesting if we do like a gritty fanatic specific tag yourself. I think that's in ours and everyone else's best interest. Yeah. Because I am not, we have already spent quite a bit of time talking yeah. about all four of them, <laughs> despite not really knowing much of anything about Swoop or Franklin the dog. Yeah. And I am not interested at all in Swoop <laughs> or Franklin the dog. <laughs> I think let's let's like keep our classic dichotomy situation. Gritty V fanatic. Fuzzy monsters only. Fuzzy monsters only. Yeah. So then you have the fanatic who is the the golden child of Philadelphia sports. And then who comes along on the scene but our pal Gritty. Mm-hmm. Changes the game, right? Entirely. Entirely. Which I think is interesting because like if you look at it. And I think this kind of plays into the tag yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Gritty and the fanatic have a lot in common. Very similar <laughs> energies. They are similar in a lot of ways. Chaotic good. Chaotic good. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I think Gritty has captured the hearts and minds and spirits and souls of the world mm-hmm. in a way that I think no other mascot has. It's true. Yeah. It's true. He's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So getting to the tag yourself portion. I Which think, is the whole portion. Sure. So that was the long lead up yeah, to yeah. say, um, I think this is interesting because we like to joke that we are different people, but we are similar in a lot of ways. And the whole point of this tag yourself is because people often mistake us for each other. And I think that is interesting when looking at the fanatic and gritty because on the surface, they are very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, we wear a lot of similar clothing that kind of thing. However, if I were to pick one to assign for each of us, I think I would say you are gritty and I am the fanatic. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) 
And why would, did you know that? <laughs> I, because we share a brain. Good point. But I would I would really like to hear your reasoning because I I feel very in the in the dark about this because they yeah. are so similar. Um, it's just like. It's just a vibe check, but <laughs> I mean, it is really like like the as as a lot of these tag yourselves are right. right? So I want to hear like what vibes you're checking, right? <laughs> I think you know there is a lot of chaos betwixt them. Mm-hmm. The way gritty you know came onto the scene and kind of like was able to capture the hearts and minds of of the people and was able to kind of be that sort of outgoing mascot in a way that the fanatic is a lot of the time too but like i think gritty just like came out so strong and i think i think if i were to be you know introduced at a at a later time i would not come out as strong <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but you think that i would i think that you would more so than me interesting and again we are being intentionally reductive here but i think i think gritty has like a like a very powerful chaotic energy um, that I think you have more of. I mean, it is kind of interesting too because like they are kind of playing with the same playbook. Right? Yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, the way the way Gritty has resonated, I think that is a that is a vibe that feels more you than it does me. Interesting. This is probably just like more so stuff I need to fix in my brain but uh I feel like you're more likable than me <laughs> just like on the whole and so uh I don't know that that is true <laughs> I, like like I said like I just need to fix some stuff in my brain but like yeah. my perception is people like you more <laughs> and so I know that makes you uncomfortable <laughs> well I guess you know I guess if we really want to want to dig deep a little bit I think historically I you tend to be more aggressive when it matters. Yes. And I think maybe that does. Honestly, like, I wish in a lot of ways that I was more like that. Uh-huh. And I think that you are better at kind of putting yourself out there in a way that makes you, make people, you know, like you more. Interesting. Yeah. Well. But that's all just about both of us projecting our own. Yeah, our own insecurities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I I think overall, you're probably right about the tag yourself distinctions. Mm-hmm. And I'm honored to be gritty, <laughs> I guess, as well. You know, thank you so much for entrusting me with this deep responsibility. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. What I, what I will say is, like, you would not want the attention that gritty gets now. I think that is the vibe. Yeah. Like the fanatic is kind of like the, you know, has kind of been like, not pushed to the side, but (laughs) because still iconic, right? Yeah. Like been that bitch, still that bitch. Yeah. Right, right, right. But I think that like that level of attention is a thing that I would be like, oh, no. And also, again, like, not that you necessarily are like, give me attention all the time. Like, well, the past few days I have been like, please give me attention. I really need attention. Um, But uh, I feel like you are better at handling it, maybe, in certain contexts. It is is more welcomed for me, Mm -hmm. though it does still, you know, when it is there, make my brain go a little nutso. Sure. As it does with every, you know, most people. 
um, because we're not meant to receive more than a certain amount of attention. And yet our yeah. society has created anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think I would be more amenable to it and like wanting to work through it to form a level of maintenance than you would. Mm-hmm. I mean, you famously want to live like Enya. <laughs> so I do. It's true. I yeah. want to live in a castle in Ireland. Where nobody can bother you. Yeah. With a bunch of cats and no other people. Exactly. Is that what you're... Based on your your very limited mascot knowledge, is that your vibe? Yeah, I think... Purely if you weren't even to even like think about it a lot. Like purely visceral. Well, I'm, I'm never going to do that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> what, well, what I'm thinking now... So like, the thing about these two characters is that they are so much, right? And neither of us all the time is so much. Yeah. No one should be. Right. (laughs) I think I want to be more on that level at times. And my anxiety stops that from happening. Whereas you don't necessarily want to be more on that level. Maybe to the extent that I do. And your anxiety stops that from happening. I agree with that. I think... I'm more inclined to take up the space that Gertie does than you. Yeah. Is what we are saying. I think I would like to aspire to be more gritty Mm -hmm. in my life. Sure. But this is not about aspirations. (laughs) (laughs) This is about reality. This is about cold hard facts. (laughs) And And vibes. And 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 vibes. Yes. All right. So it's settled. Yeah. I'm gritty. I'm the fanatic. If you would like to offer us a tag yourself suggestion, please send us an email at moretalklessrack at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of More Talk Less Rock. We record, produce, edit, and release it ourselves, and we hope you have fun listening to it. If you do enjoy the show, please give us a good rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to the show. We are told that it helps people find it, and we would really love to have more people listening to us talk to each other. Um, <laughs> you can also follow us on social media at More Talk Less Rock on Instagram and at MTLR Podcast on Twitter, where we occasionally post things about the show. I'm Lauren. And I'm Rachel. And, and we're, we're just happy to be here. here. And now, More Talk Less Rock is proud to present Describe Your Limbo by Unceremonious Parting of Ways.